So our scriptures this morning, as is usually the case by the power of the Holy Spirit, all tie together to bring us a a cohesive message that God wants to impart to his people, the church, this morning. And it deals with God's perspective on human history. God's perspective on our history as human beings is much different than our perspective because, see, we live on this continuum of time, whereas God lives outside of time. And so while we look back on history, God looks down on history and the present and the future all at the same time. So his perspective is different than our perspective. Now, much of human history is tied up in the politics of the human condition. And I know as soon as I said that word politics, some people got a little tense. Don't talk about politics and religion and polite company. And this morning we're going to do a little bit of both. See, much of our human history is tied up in the politics of the human condition. What I mean by that is that human history records the exercise of power, the transition of power in all the nations of the world over all of recorded time, from the rulers of ancient Egypt to the kings of ancient Judah to the emperors of Rome, the kings of Europe, the popes of Rome, and yes, all of the presidents of the United States. Human history tends to attribute to great men and women the success or failure of a nation of people. And the Bible, make no mistake, is an excellent source for human history, but there's one critical difference between the Bible and all the other sources we might go to to look for human history. You see, the Bible does not attribute the greatness of a nation or the greatness of its people to great leaders on their own merit. But rather, the Bible attributes the greatness of a nation and its people to their willingness to give all honor and glory to the only wise God. Now, I said that I'm going to talk about politics and religion. I was just off the cuff there a little bit. I didn't really come here to talk about politics. And so those of you who got bristling hair on the back of your necks when you heard that word, you can you can settle down now. I want to talk about a few principles that are in the Bible that are important in the human condition if a nation of people is to be made great. Our Old Testament reading this morning that Cindy read from Isaiah 9 is a great place to start for this discussion. Isaiah talks about a people who walk in darkness in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, if you're not familiar with those 
regions uh, in the Bible. Zebulun and Naphtali were tribal regions of ancient Israel that had a dark history of war and chaos and turmoil. This was a, a region that existed in the time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. And Ahaz was the king of Judah, and he invited the king of Assyria, a man by the name of Tiglath-Pileser. And he invited the king of Assyria to help him against the kings of Syria and Israel. Now, good old King Tiglath was very happy to help Ahaz, but his price was high. He demanded in exchange for his armies people from Ahaz's kingdom to work as slaves, especially from Zebulun and Naphtali. So eventually, in the void that was left by the deportation of all of these captives in Zebulun and Naphtali, these non-Hebrew Gentiles began to come in and colonize the region, and it became known as the region of the Gentiles, or more simply, Galilee. So, in typical prophetic fashion, Isaiah expresses in this passage how God will transform this dark nation, this dark region around the Sea of Galilee. Listen to what he says. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. See, Isaiah talks about the righteous reign of the coming king. He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus. The Messiah, Jesus, who will bring light to the darkness. Now, you'll recall that Jesus' ministry on earth began in Galilee. It was centered in Galilee. The region of Galilee, which was once darkened, was among the first on the earth to receive this great light of Jesus Christ. Jesus brought light to Jew and Gentile alike. He brought light to a region that was desperately in need of a Savior. Most of his apostles were from that region in Galilee. And with those apostles, he ministered as both the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel, as Isaiah said. What made the nation great? 
So as we look at this formerly dark region of Galilee and the formerly dark nation of Judah, we see them rise to greatness because of one significant event in human history. Can you guess what that event was? Now, I'm not speaking of greatness of a world power that's capable of exerting its will and might over all of the neighboring nations. No, I'm not talking about that kind of greatness. I'm talking about greatness that endures through time, even as rulers come and go, as power is transferred both peacefully and sometimes violently from one ruler to the next. I'm talking about greatness that surpasses even the longevity of the nation itself. I'm talking about greatness that endures not time, but eternity. See, the event was the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you figured that out. And the greatness I'm referring to is the enduring message of the gospel. That when embraced by the people of Galilee, it caused them to rise from the darkness into the greatness of wisdom, of truth, of the light of life, of peace, life abundant and eternal, enduring greatness, eternal greatness. And so when we ask the question, what makes the nation great? God makes the nation great. Christ makes the nation great. There's nothing else that makes a people great but their relationship with the only great one. So in our epistle this morning, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. And they are a people who are divided and fighting with each other about whose team they're on. Man, does that sound familiar. Are they aligned with Paul? Are they aligned with Cephas, Peter? Or are they aligned with Apollos? Which teacher among those is best? Which leader is the right leader? And Paul admonishes them. He says, you're you're going about this all wrong. Your emphasis is incorrect. He says, now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. He says, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, what Paul is telling us is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Unity of mind and purpose is strength. But here's the caveat. Unity in the mind of Christ is stronger than anything. No human leader can take his place. No human dogma is stronger than the doctrine of Scripture. No human leader can be stronger agent for true unity than Jesus Christ himself. See, no human leader can make a nation great. No bishop can make a church great. Only unity in Christ can accomplish greatness and dignity 
for the human people. See, we accomplish unity in Christ by staying in God's word. We stay in God's word by abiding in it and in God himself. And we abide in him by establishing accountability to his word. And we establish accountability by doctrine found in his holy word. Which when it comes right down to it means that only God makes a people great. That brings us to our gospel lesson. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of the gospel? Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. See, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. The political division in our country, the secular wokeness in our country, and indeed in the universal church, well, that's more than political. It's more than a cultural phenomenon. It's a spiritual battle. It's a war between the powers of darkness of this present age and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The infiltration of the devil into the church of God is the biggest source of divisiveness that we are contending with that trickles into every facet of human life. When the devil infiltrates the church and begins to tear down its people, then there is no part of human life that is untouched, that is undefiled. It doesn't matter. Family, marriage, gender identity, government, 
politics. If the church is torn down, every other facet of humanity is defiled. But here's the thing. If we, the people, are truly the power behind the structure of government in our nation, if we, the people, are indeed the body of Christ, the church, then it is our responsibility to use that ordained power with the wisdom and compassion of the mind of Christ. It's our responsibility to unify, not just for unity's sake, but for Christ's. And as we've already determined, the only way to establish a united nation of people with the ability to endure, to have lasting impact, to have lasting significance is to unify in the eternal power of Christ. And so that means like Simon, Peter and Andrew, like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you and I have to drop our nets, whatever that is for us, whatever we're currently engaged in. We have to drop everything and follow Jesus. There's no agenda on earth more important than following Jesus. There's nothing that we can engage in as human beings that means more to the eternal salvation of our own souls and the souls of people we care about. And indeed, everything that goes on beyond the glass doors of this sanctuary, there is nothing more important than following Jesus. Over the years, I have observed that we, the people, must proclaim and demonstrate the hope that we want to see in our nation and in our church. A positive, hopeful, righteous, Christ-like attitude is the only way to bring positive change to the human condition. The hope of Christ, the hope that just like light chases away darkness, the hope that just like love chases away fear, the hope of Christ is the only thing that transforms the human condition into the glory of God. Only Jesus unifies, only Jesus unifies completely only God can make a nation of people great. It's not within our own power to make ourselves great, our nation great. The only thing that we can do is turn our eyes, our gaze toward Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us as the children of God to spread the gospel message far and wide in the hopes that people will be moved to seek a relationship 
with Jesus, the only one who can transform. And by doing make our people great. In the great words of Forrest Gump. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Amen. Did you see that? Let's go ahead and stand. Always like to leave you guessing, Bobby. <laughs>